The following audio is from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com. Well, I want to talk with you today about the struggles that you have in your life and about the strength that God is waiting to give you. Did you know there's a supernatural strength that God longs to breathe into your life? And if we're honest, if we really are honest, couldn't we all use a little supernatural strength in our lives? I mean, maybe you don't even believe in God and you're just here today just wondering what this stuff's all about. Well, okay, just imagine for a moment, okay? Could you use some supernatural strength in your life? Wouldn't that be cool? I found this awesome verse the other day. I've been studying through scripture this theme of God's strength and our weakness. Check out this verse in Joel 3.10. Let the weakling say, I am strong. Or one translation says, I am a warrior. I love this verse because, you know, as you can see by the dimensions of my bicep, I have always been a weakling my entire life. And I love this verse because God is a God of weaklings. In fact, there's a passage where Jesus says, you know, it's easier for a a camel to pass through the eye of a needle, which is this crazy old metaphor from the Middle East, than for a rich person to come to salvation. There's another place where the Apostle Paul says, not many of you, when God called you, were rich or powerful, or famous, or super smart. Why? Because to come to God requires us to get down on our knees and admit that we have weakness and we have need. And the people who their whole lives say, you know, I've got it all together, I don't need God, well, they never find God, and they never find his strength. So ironically, the people who think they're really strong never actually encounter real strength. And the people who humble themselves and are weak before the Lord find the strength of Almighty God. I spent the last few days at a retreat with some other pastors out in the middle of the woods. And the point was to, you know, disengage from technology and to encounter God in nature. So I was excited to, you know, spend time in the Word of God and in prayer and and maybe encounter God in nature through some like, you know, butterflies or you know, trickling waterfalls or, you know, huge majestic mountains, but things that wouldn't hurt me, right? Well, I saw a snake, which I don't like because I'm a weakling, but I I took pictures of the other thing I saw. I know they're not very good pictures because they were with my cell phone at night. But if you've ever tried to take a picture in the dark with a cell phone, you know how close this was. This is a brown bear that was right outside my window. Every night, I named her Sasha. She would come and visit me because the the dumpster was there. And it had these metal lids, and she would, she would rattle them until she got them open. And then she would pull the food out, uh, and, and, and we were all so fascinated, you know? I, I had other pastors coming up to my room, and, and we'd all huddle around and open the window and look out, and, and there's Sasha. I mean, because she, she looked a lot better in real life, okay? She wasn't all pixelated. It, we, could, we could see her. It was like being at a zoo, except that when we opened the window, there's just a screen between you and Sasha. And uh, one night she woke me up around two in the morning because she was banging on the dumpster, and I um, was a little upset. And I, 
I shined my flashlight right in her eyes, which I had done before. And she stood up on her back legs and started, I didn't know bears do this. She started making this grunting noise, like when a horse snorts or a moose or something, and they like snort through their nose. She started making that noise. And then with her big old claws, uh, scraping the bark on the tree, I closed my window. <laughs> and, and honestly, I, I did not sleep very well that night. But, you know, it was so fun getting all the other guys together and we'd look at this bear. Why? And why are we so fascinated with a bear? You know, if it was a raccoon, we probably would not have been so fascinated. Well, because power fascinates us. You know, why did people go see Old Faithful? Why did people, you know, go to SeaWorld to see Shamu? Uh, Why, when the shuttles were still taken off from Cape Canaveral, would people go down there? Because we love to see power. Why do we love to see power? Because, you know, whether we acknowledge it or not consciously, we all lack some power. We know that we have limits and limitations. And these other creatures who could, you know, with one swipe, kill a person, or or these feats of nature that show us just a little bit of God's power, even people who don't believe in God, they love to see that power because we all know that we lack some power. And the truth is, no matter how strong we are, and even no matter how spiritual we are, we all struggle at times. We all have power shortages at times. Sometimes those of us who believe in Christ, we struggle to follow Christ the way that he has freed us to. Other times we struggle just to get out of bed in the morning. If you're like me, you struggle late at night to not waste the whole evening searching the internet for old Toyota Land Cruisers. You know, I mean, that's a struggle that I have to not waste my time doing that. We struggle to trust God when the checking account is empty or overdrafted. We struggle to be content in our marriages. We struggle with this urge that we have to please people more than to please God. We struggle with fear as our bodies get sick and especially as they age. Well, God's Word tells us today... If you believe in Jesus Christ, there is a supernatural strength that's available to you in your struggles. Not around your struggles, not when you get over your struggles, but actually right in the middle of your struggles. We've been studying this theme lately of God's strength and our weakness. And one of the big things we've seen is that, you know, your weaknesses, the natural thing to do as a human, and especially as an American, is to ignore them, deny them, pretend they don't exist. But don't do that because when you do that, you are ignoring the very ways that God wants to walk into your life. Every weakness you have, every need you have, every temptation, every sin struggle, every broken relationship, every pain from the years past, all these different weaknesses are doorways. They're they're little doorways in a stone wall, okay? And that's the doorway that God wants to walk into, into your life. That's where he wants to show you his power and his strength. We saw this in 2 Corinthians 12, when Paul has this weakness of a thorn in the flesh, an ongoing physical weakness. And he says, after he learns this principle, he says, I delight in my weaknesses. I get excited when I find out I have a new weakness because that's when I get to see God's strength. But the sad thing is so many of us We've got these weaknesses, and for some of you, you don't yet know Christ as your Savior, and that weakness is the fact that that you lack God in your life. For others of us, 
we've known Christ as our Savior, but we have weaknesses like, like sickness and, and pain and broken relationships. And, and we don't like to acknowledge that we have these weaknesses, so we board them up. I don't want to acknowledge the fact that I'm a worrier, that I have anxiety. I don't want to acknowledge the fact that I had a terrible relationship with my dad. I, I don't want to acknowledge all these different hurts and weaknesses, so we board them up. We pretend they're not there. And the power of God is just waiting to rush into our lives. But we've locked and we've barred the very doorways where God's power wants to come into our lives. Well, today we're looking at one of these ways, if you'll open the door, that God's power rushes into your life, and it's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit strengthens us and encourages us. Why? So that we can follow Jesus, and it doesn't end there. The Holy Spirit strengthens and encourages you so you can follow Jesus in supernatural ways. What does that mean? Does that mean so you can like go out in the parking lot and levitate a car? Probably not. But if you're like me, to follow Jesus and say no to sin requires supernatural strength in your life. If you're like me, when Jesus says, uh, hey, I want you to tell this neighbor that I love them, well, for me, that requires supernatural strength. I don't just in my own nature love to go do that. To actually follow Jesus, to live the kind of life that he describes, you cannot do it in your strength. And this is where so many Christians get so frustrated they read the Bible and they say, okay, I want to follow Jesus. I want to live this life. And they try to do it in their own strength. They've blocked the doors to the Holy Spirit's power and they don't have the strength to do it. I don't have the strength to do it. Depending on what kind of church background you have, you may come from a church that really, really emphasized the Holy Spirit. Some of them maybe go a little overboard and, and do some kind of weird stuff. And we, so we think, oh, I don't want to have anything to do with that. Other churches underemphasize the Holy Spirit. That's the kind of church I grew up in. Great church. Uh, I'm a recovering Baptist, if any of you guys are recovering Baptists, okay? Lots of great stuff that I learned in the Baptist church. But in Baptist circles, at least the ones I was in, the Holy Spirit is like the black sheep of the Trinity, okay? He's like, you know, he's technically God, but we don't really want him around, you know? We don't know what might happen if the Holy Spirit actually shows up. So we're going to, you know, I grew up and they taught me all the truth. You know, the Holy Spirit's fully God, just as much as the Father and the Son. And, and that was it. <laughs> well, you know, our goal here at Cornerstone is just to teach you God's Word. And the reality is, if you don't understand the Holy Spirit in your life, you're going to be living the Christian life in your own power, which is frustrating. It's really frustrating. It's like pushing a car uphill when you could be sitting in the car, driving it uphill. That's what God wants for you. That's why he gave us the Holy Spirit. So turn with me to Acts chapter 1. If you've got a copy of God's Word, Acts chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, by the way, you are always welcome to pick one up. Uh, we've got them on the tables outside as you come into the auditorium. Uh, we'd love for you to have a copy of God's Word. In a minute, we're going to read Acts chapter 1. And right before we do, I just want to pause for a brief moment, and I want to ask you to get real personal with yourself. To look into your heart of hearts, into your innermost being, into your soul, and ask yourself this. Okay, no one else is listening. Your spouse can't hear. It's just you and God in there in your heart, okay? What 
are you struggling with right now in your life? No one else knows the answer. But just be honest with yourself and God. Are you struggling with fear? Struggling with worry? Maybe you're struggling to be content, struggling to forgive. Perhaps you're struggling to provide for your family, provide for your future. Struggling with apathy or lust. And maybe you're struggling to believe that promise of God when he says that he works all things together for good for those who trust him. You know that up here. But with the stuff you're going through in your life, to believe it in here, that's, that's a struggle right now. Would you take a moment to identify that struggle and then close your eyes and let's, let's, let's pray. Let's give God, let's open the doors of these weaknesses. Father, we, with open hands, we bring you a room full of struggles, weaknesses. Lord, we bring you marriages that seem impossible to repair. We bring you years-old wounds from parents, from people who we thought loved us and rejected us. We bring you the things that we try to do right and, and we keep falling on our face. Lord, struggles and weaknesses of sin, temptation, of just sickness and broken bodies and broken relationships and a broken world. Lord, you see every struggle, every weakness in each of our hearts. Right now, Lord, oh man, we've boarded up so many of these. We don't they're, they are wounds, and they hurt to look at. They hurt to touch. Jesus, we want to believe that you're a healer. You touched the lepers. You touched the eyes of the blind. That's how you healed them, and we give you these wounds. And Lord, we unbar these doors, these openings of weakness. We invite you with your power, with your comfort, right through that weakness, Lord, to rush into our lives that we might know that you are real and supernatural and loving, comforting. Lord, meet with us. Holy Spirit, we invite you to be in control of our lives. We don't fear you. We delight that you want to live in us and guide us comfort us and empower us. So meet with us now, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're in Acts chapter 1. We can put this up on the screen and we can all read it out loud together, okay? Read this with me. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Question, not rhetorical, answer out loud. What will you receive? When will you receive it? Yes, yes, good, good. Turn to your neighbor and say, power comes from the Holy Spirit. Power comes from the Holy Spirit. Don't, don't forget it. Turn over a few pages in your Bible now to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. In Acts chapter 1, the worldwide church, Christianity, major world faith is 120 people who are discouraged and pretty much broke and in one city. By the time we get to Acts chapter 9, the church is tens of thousands of people. 
In fact, remember that promise, you'll be my witnesses in Judea, Samaria. The church is there by Acts chapter 9. It's thousands of people. It's thriving. What happened between Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 9? The Holy Spirit happened. Check out this verse, Acts chapter 9, verse 31. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria. Remember? God promised. God promised. This really happened. These were real people who lived, who were historically documented. And God says to these 120 people, no trains, no planes, no automobiles, no cell phone towers, no mass media. He says, you're going to be my witnesses. The Holy Spirit's going to come on you and do such a supernatural thing that you're going to, you're going to invade this whole region of the world with the good news of salvation in Christ. What an impossible claim. Well, eight chapters later, not long in time later, it has happened. All documented by historians, okay? The church throughout all these areas enjoyed a time of peace. It, the church, was strengthened. You need to be strengthened and encouraged. Who did this? By the Holy Spirit. It, the church, grew in numbers, living in the fear of the Lord. Now, let me give you the setting here, okay? The church has grown radically, but the church is under persecution. In fact, just recently, the church had a young dynamic leader named Stephen. And Stephen, by the way, the reason he was chosen to be a leader, Acts chapter 6 tells us, is because he was full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom. Well, Stephen's this dynamic young leader. He's out telling people about Jesus one day. Someone gets mad at him. You know, it's that region of the world. People take religion pretty seriously over there, right? Someone gets mad at him. They throw a rock at him. Other people start picking up stones and rocks, throwing them as hard as they can at Stephen. One eventually hits him in the head. He falls on the ground. And the crowd keeps throwing rocks at him until he dies. You know, sometimes people ask you, hey, how is your church going? I hear, I hear good things are happening. Well, you know, it's going pretty well, but we had this young leader, and he was out telling people about Jesus, and a mob lynched him. He's dead. They murdered him. I mean, wouldn't you be afraid? Like, oh, man, that was our leader. If they did that to him, what are they going to do to us? I don't know if I'm going to, you know, keep telling people about Jesus. This church, according to circumstances, according to normal human rules, should be discouraged. This church should be divided. This church should be distracted. This church should be walking around with its head down. Woe is me. We had this great leader. He got killed. What's going to happen to us? Instead, the church is being strengthened. It's being encouraged. It's growing in number. And it's loving and fearing the Lord more and more every day. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is at work. Now, here's the other incredible thing about this setting, okay? That happened to Stephen, but even as Stephen was dying, God does a miracle and shows his glory, shines this bright light from Stephen as he's passing away. Other apostles are doing miracles. They're healing people. Uh, Philip actually transports. He's like teaching one place, and God's like, oh, I need you to teach over here. Boom, Star Trek style, right? He transports. I mean, God's doing all these incredible miracles. And so you'd expect the text to say something like, the church was strengthened and encouraged by the apostle Peter and all the great things he was doing. Church was strengthened and encouraged by Philip, the fact that he transported. 
right? But, but it's not any of these people. It's the Holy Spirit who strengthens and encourages the church. When you gather here or at other Bible-believing churches where the Spirit of God is at work, there's times when you leave and afterwards on the drive home, you say, man, you know, worship was so great today. Jamie was just, he, he nailed it today. Or, you know, the teaching was so great today. You know, Pastor Tom, was just he was on fire, right? And we, we, we think it's these people who are working. But do you realize what happened when that happens, when your heart gets stirred like that? The Holy Spirit showed up. The Holy Spirit strengthened you and encouraged you because that's what he does. And, and, and when we gather together... And we have these powerful moments. It's the Holy Spirit working. And you know what we're getting? We're getting to see the bear. We're getting these little glimpses of this is how powerful God is. Incredible thing about the Holy Spirit for you is that God wants you to have that power, that joy, that peace every day. You see, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come down onto people, and he would empower them for things. We put it this way on your outline. The Holy Spirit strengthens me or empowers me to do the will of God. You realize that when, when Samson would do a miracle, remember, remember Samson, the guy with the huge arms? When Samson would do a miracle, the, the scriptures say the Spirit of God came upon him. And you follow the Holy Spirit through the Old Testament and, and, and these men of God, women of God, prophets would do these incredible things when the Holy Spirit came on them. We're going to see that Jesus says now, if you're a follower of Jesus, he doesn't just have to come on you in random moments. He actually lives in you and is continually available to empower you to do actually supernatural things, but not supernatural things so you can bring a bunch of, you know, like, oh, I'm just, you know, God, Holy Spirit, I don't want to get up from the couch while I'm watching my show. Could you open the refrigerator and have my drink levitate over here? To, you know, that's not the purpose, okay? I, you know, there's plenty of power there, but that's not the, that is not the, God's purpose, okay? I was studying Jesus' miracles in the Gospels this last week. Dozens of miracles Jesus did. And you know what? He never like went into the middle of a city and just levitated and said, see y'all, see what's up, I'm God. He never did that. Yeah, he says, you know, your faith can move mountains, but he never moved a mountain. He, he never did, you know, all these supernatural displays that he could have done to just bring glory to himself, he didn't do. You know what kind of miracles he did do? He was always helping people and he was pointing them to the Father. The point of the supernatural strength of the Holy Spirit in your life is to glorify God by helping others and pointing others to God. So Jesus, if you look at his dozens of miracles, every single one was showing someone, here's what God is like. Point your eyes to God. Open the eyes of the blind. Touch the lepers. Raise the dead to life. Let the little children come to me. He was empowered by the Holy Spirit to show people God's heart. And you're empowered by the Holy Spirit to show people God's heart. I've told some of you guys this story of my oldest brother. He grew up in Michigan where there's water everywhere. And uh, we would go to these cabins in Canada 
and there was this uh, really rapid river that well, it was a waterfall. And we'd go and we'd park our boat at the bottom. We'd climb up the cliffs to this waterfall. And my three older brothers are all pretty athletic, and, and the one that's kind of like being a tough guy. And, you know, right where the water goes over the edge, it looks kind of peaceful. I mean, not right at the edge, but maybe like 15 feet up. It just looks kind of glassy there. It's actually moving very fast. And my brother started inching his way across to see, you know, if he was stronger than the waterfall. Well, you know, the problem, if you've ever tried to do that, is that moss and slippery stuff grows on those rocks. So he gets about halfway across, and the waterfall catches him, and just he's just gone like that. And, and thankfully, that one just went down about 10 feet or so, and there's this pool at the bottom. And, and he goes down, and he's underwater in that pool, and we're all looking to see if he's going to come up. And as the youngest, having to share bedrooms my entire life, <laughs> I really was waiting to see what was going to happen. <laughs> but up, up he came, okay? He survived. But the, when you read... From Genesis to Revelation, you get this idea. The Holy Spirit is like this current, like this white water rapid that flows through human history. And the people of God step into it, hopefully on a kayak or something, right? Okay, uh, in the metaphor. Okay, and the Holy Spirit just carries you along in the purposes of God, in the will of God, in the direction of God. There's a verse where Jesus says, you know, the person who follows me, he goes wherever the wind blows. What, what did Jesus mean? Did he mean that his followers are like really unfaithful people who don't commit to anything? Not at all. What he meant is that they're led by the Spirit, because the word spirit, the Greek word pneuma, means wind or breath. What he's saying is the people who follow me, they're, they're carried along by the, the breath of God. The wind of God blows them in the direction he wants them to go. And so my question for you as a follower of Christ today is, uh, are you in that current being carried along by God? Or have you been closing up your weaknesses? And as a result, you're kind of standing on the riverbank. You know, you're trying to do this Christian thing in your own strength. And, and you're upset that there's these weaknesses and these pains in your life. You think, God, why would you let those happen to me? I thought you loved me. And he's saying, I do love you. And if you'll give me that thing, you'd be surprised what I would do with it. You'd be surprised how I'd come into your life through it. In the geography of human history, the Holy Spirit surges with irresistible strength, carrying men and women and nations along in the current of God's will. You see this with Samson. You see this with, with young shepherd boy David, right? You guys remember King David, Goliath? Why was this young kid who gets you know, matched up in this one-on-one -on -one ultimate fighting championship. Fight to the death. Little guy with sling, 10-foot tall guy with armor and everything. Trained warrior. I mean, there's still blood on his sword and shield, right? This guy's been around. He's killed his thousands. This is a big mismatch. How could David in 1 Samuel 17 defeat Goliath? Well, it's because the Holy Spirit came upon him one chapter earlier in 1 Samuel 16. 
And if you trace the Holy Spirit through the Old Testament, you'll see that there weren't miracles, there weren't big things done unless the Spirit of God came upon people. In fact, it was the same with Jesus. Acts 10 verse 38 tells us this, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. They always go together. And how he went around doing good, that's what the power's for, and healing all who were under the power of the devil. See, you take away all the, um, all the flesh and the bones and all the human stuff that we see, and the earth is a planet that's under a power struggle between the power of evil and the power of God. And when Jesus came on the cross, it was obvious, you know, the game's over. We know who's going to win. But for us, we're like in the fourth quarter, right? We're waiting for that buzzer when Christ returns. And the game's still going on. We know he's going to win, but there's still an enemy. He's still active. And scripture says, until you come to faith in Christ, you are under the power of darkness, under the power of the evil one. In fact, it describes Satan as the prince and the ruler of this world. So we who know Christ, we don't have to fear him because Jesus said, greater is he who's in you, the Holy Spirit, than he who's in the world. But if you don't know Christ, you should be afraid because you are enslaved and your eyes have been poked out and you're blinded and chained by an evil master. And you think you're making your own choices in life and he's got you going around doing his business. That's what he does. And in this fight between good and evil, Jesus came down on earth, this big, boom, bright white light of rightness and God's way comes into the darkness. And then Jesus trains up his followers and he says, okay, I'm going to prepare a place. And while I'm gone, you're going to be my presence on earth. And because you could never do that in your strength, I'm going to give you a secret weapon. The Holy Spirit is going to live in you. And you're going to have the very power of God to live for God in this fallen world. The Holy Spirit is the very presence of God waiting to empower you. Empower you to be the presence of God. You know, what's our purpose as a church? Why are we here? You know, do we come here to play church, to be religious? Lord, help us if, if we ever do, okay? We come here to reconnect to the power source, God, to build each other up in him. Why? Because God said, you are now my body. Do you realize that? Jesus calls you his body. Us together, we're the body of Christ. Why did... Well, that's a weird metaphor. It means we are his presence on earth. We are the force of righteousness in a world where there's a great struggle between evil and right. We're his very presence. And so why are we here? Well, it's to go to our neighbors and our coworkers, the people we see at Fry's and at Safeway, our family members, and tell them, hey, I see you struggling and this or that. Do you know there's a God who loves you? He wants to free you from that. Do you know that Jesus actually was a real person who was God and died for your sins? In other words, we're here to be the presence of God, to rescue souls for God. That's why we're here as a church. Not to make ourselves as comfortable as possible, but to reach as many as possible. And we're here to make disciples, right? We tell them about Jesus and then we say, hey, here's what it looks like to follow Jesus. That's what we're doing right now. And we do that with our own, our own kids, right? We raise up our kids and we say, hey, here's what it looks like to follow Jesus. 
do you realize that if you really understand those callings, as a church, we're called to, you know, rescue slaves out of sin and to raise children in a hostile, hypersexual culture and teach them to love God and others. Do you realize that that is impossible for us to do in our strength? Do you realize that if it's us working to do it with all of our great wisdom and all of our resources pooled together, we do not stand a chance. Only the Holy Spirit of God can empower us to be the presence of God. And it's the same in your personal life, where you've got struggles, where you're going through times of testing, where you're intimidated, like David was intimidated when he saw Goliath, where there's sickness, where there's brokenness, where there's sin. All of these, you need the Holy Spirit. We cannot live New Testament Christian lives without the Holy Spirit's help. There's just no such thing. We cannot follow Jesus without the Holy Spirit's help. And we cannot do God's will in our marriages, in our families, even serving in the church, no matter how good our motives are. We cannot do God's will without the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what God's word teaches. Let me give you another example. Ephesians 3, verse 16. The Apostle Paul's writing to normal Christians like me and you, okay? Sometimes people look at Acts, and they've got good theological reasons for this, but they say, well, Acts was different. You know, the Holy Spirit was really rocking then, but then he kind of faded out. Well, you know, I don't want to get into all that. But in Ephesians 3, Paul's clearly writing to normal Christians like me and you. And here's what he says in verse 16. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he, God the Father, may strengthen you. Okay, how, Apostle Paul, who's been given by God great insight, greater insight than anyone else in how this whole thing works, How is God, through his glorious riches, going to encourage us? With power, through his spirit. Where? In your inner being. That place that we tried to open up when we prayed earlier. That no one else goes. Your heart of hearts. Your kind of secret place in your soul and spirit that even your spouse doesn't know about. God wants to give you strength right there by his Holy Spirit. Why? So that you can, so that Christ will dwell in you right there in your heart, in your soul, through faith. Why? Well, we know from the big picture of the New Testament, so that you can be Christ's presence in the world and show people what Christ is about. So do you need some strength in your inner being? God wants to strengthen you by his Spirit. Holy Spirit strengthens you to do things you could never do on your own. To be patient when you couldn't be patient. To be loving when you couldn't be loving. That's why later when Paul describes the fruits of the Spirit, he says, you know, when the Spirit's, when you've really let him have control of your inmost being, then here are the things that come out of your life. Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, self-control. These are all things that, you know, like that fake plastic fruit that my kids love to try and eat whenever they find it. That fake, you know, furniture fruit. We can try to fake love and joy and peace, but only the Holy Spirit can actually create them in our lives. And he does that as we let him have control there in our inmost being. Acts 9.31 tells us the church was strengthened by the Holy Spirit but it was also encouraged by the Holy Spirit. 
Have you ever met someone who's incredibly powerful? And you've met someone who's incredibly encouraging. But they're not usually the same person, right? But the Holy Spirit is. He wants to come into your life to empower you and strengthen you, but also to encourage you. And that's the next truth from Acts 9.31. The Holy Spirit encourages me in times of opposition and discouragement. So I don't know where you are today in your life. God knows. Maybe you're here today and you need this encouragement that, man, the Holy Spirit is waiting to encourage you. So, so stop looking to your spouse or whoever else to encourage you. Start looking to the Holy Spirit too. Others of you, you're just weak and you need to know this strength part. Maybe you need both of these. Acts 9.31 tells us the church was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. Remember that context of, you know, Stephen, their teacher, had just been killed. They should have been discouraged. Why were they encouraged? Because of the Holy Spirit. When Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit, he actually gives him a name, a Greek word, paraclete, which means to come alongside. This is how Jesus describes the Holy Spirit in John chapter 16, verse 7, when he tells his disciples this. He says, but I tell you this, I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I'm going away. Okay, now let's just pause there, okay? Because that does not seem to be true, Jesus. You know what I mean? Why did he go away? Wouldn't it be awesome if he was up here teaching us? Wouldn't it be awesome if he was still in Jerusalem, you know, teaching at the temple every day, having throwdowns with the Pharisees, and anytime you could turn on C-SPAN and see what Jesus is doing in the temple? I mean, it would be awesome. And, and those who have weak faith could go and they could put, you know, oh, there's the wound. Wow, you really are 2,000 years old, I believe. You know, why would it be better for him to go away? Some of these things don't make sense at first glance. John 16, 7, I tell you the truth, it's for your good that I'm going away, okay? Jesus always speaks the truth. So whether that seems smartest idea to us, he's smarter. Why would it be better for him to go away? He explains, unless I go away, the counselor, that's the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, the one who comes alongside, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Man, that's incredible. Do you realize what the Holy Spirit is? Jesus says, you know, as cool as it would be if I could drive around town with you and go to Taco Bell with you and go to work with you, it's actually better for you to have the Holy Spirit inside you. I mean, do we believe that? Do we actually believe that. And what a word Jesus chooses, counselor, comforter, paraclete. I've told some of you guys the story of the day in ninth grade when I was actually crying in the hallway of my high school. Because believe it or not, I tended to talk a lot in class. And I was always getting in trouble for talking in class. And this one day, I was sitting in the back row of some science class, chemistry or something, and I was actually not talking. I was drawing a car, thank you very much, <laughs> with my mouth shut, okay? And the, the teacher hears some talking, and he just whips around and goes, Dickerson, detention, see me after class. <sighs> For once in my life, you know? I mean, I knew I was a bad kid, but for once I wasn't being a bad kid. 
This was just unjust. This was wrong. So after class, I went up to my teacher and I said, hey, I know, I know that I get in trouble a lot and I deserve it, but I really was not talking this time, I promise. And he said, well, it doesn't matter. I don't know his exact words, but essentially, you know, you're a troublemaker, you're a bad kid, you're getting the detention anyway. Well, something in my little sensitive inner spirit broke. It's just like, this isn't fair, you know? For once, I was being good. And, and I got out to my locker in the hallway, and, and I just started crying there. You know, kind of hidden in the door. I don't want everyone to see you crying. And I was a, a freshman. And my older brother, who's a senior, came up to me. And he just put his arm around me. And he just stood there with me. He came alongside. And the Holy Spirit right now, where you're hurting, where you're broken inside, Jesus says he's a counselor. He comes alongside you. He wants to put his arm around you. He wants to comfort you. He wants to counsel you. When you're crying and alone, when you're hurting, when you're confused, why did this happen to me? When you're trying so hard to do everything right and everything's going wrong, he's drawing near to you in that moment. And he'll be there for you, follower of Christ, tomorrow, next year. He'll be with you at the graveside, with you in the hospital, with you when you're rejected, with you when you're forgotten. When your lungs inhale and exhale for the very last time. And there will be a last time for all of our lungs the same Spirit of God who breathes life into Adam's nostrils. He's going to be right there with you, alongside you, his arm around you as you move from this fallen, broken world into that place of peace where there are no more tears. I want to pray with you. We're going to take communion together and we're going to keep meditating on this third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, as we do. So let's pray together. Father, Lord, we do not understand all of you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But we want to know you more. We want to love you. And Lord, I thank you that we don't have to fully understand you to be loved by you. So Lord, right now, once again, we unbar those doors. We open those passageways. Our weaknesses, our wounds, our hurts, our temptations, our mistakes, our regrets. Father, give us the strength to walk over to those doors and to unbolt them, fling them open. And as we go into this time of remembering the cross, we pray that you would rush in. Even now, Holy Spirit, rush in to that 
inner heart of hearts of the men and women in this room, that they might know that you're a God who comforts, one who comes alongside. You put your arm around us, you're putting your arm around people right now, and you are telling them, I still love you. I still have good plans for you. I know it seems impossible, but I can work good even from that. If you'll just give it to me. Oh, Lord, meet with us. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.